everyone, welcome to another Canucks Talk live from Rogers Arena. It's Jamie Dodd, it's my co-host Canucks insider Thomas Strantz, who also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. We're at Rogers Arena, but also coming to you live from the Kintec studio, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, Supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. And, of course, 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. And you're going to want to get your text in. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Is there a lot going on? Do we have a big show for everyone today, Drancer? The Canucks host the Florida Panthers. Ding! Your beloved Florida Panthers. Uh, the Canucks will also honor. I don't even know anyone on the team anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at well, the roster. Up. I was looking at the roster. I'm like, I know. I guess I know Ekblad. <laughs> like, that's it. Barkov not in the game tonight. It looks like we'll doesn't, see. Doesn't seem to doesn't be. Doesn't seem to be. Anyways, uh, they no, but I mean, they're all gone. Everyone that I worked with is gone. Uh, they're on different teams around the league, which actually is probably more useful to me. So, it is what it is. There you go. Um, Time passes. That's so true. Very quickly. So true. Life moves fast. Life moves very quickly. Uh, Canucks going to honor their trio of recent Hall of Fame inductees. Of course, that's Daniel and Henrik Sedin. That's Roberto Luongo. And yesterday, they also announced that Roberto Luongo will go into the Ring of Honor at Rogers Arena next season, sometime in the 2023-2024 season. Now, here's how we're going to do this. Because Drance... I got takes. You got a lot to say. I and, I, and I'm concerned that if I immediately turn it over to you... You won't get another word in anyways? <laughs> yes, it might be two hours. No. It might I, be two hours before you come up for air. Well, yeah. yeah so here's the thing. Whatever. No, no, no. That's look, a look. reasonable fear. You've got takes. People want to hear your takes. I, I want to get my piece. I want to say my piece, and then I will I will cede the floor to you. Uh, maybe I'll go make a coffee or something while you do your thing. No, I'll be here. But I, 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 I want to get my take out there first. And here's the thing. So obviously the debate is... Should it have been there retiring Luongo's number? And just, I'm, I'm going to try to step back from the emotions, even though this isn't inherently an emotional decision. It's, it's based on the connection between fans and a player when it comes right down to it. But just trying to be as dispassionate as possible, it's a pretty easy yes. They should be retiring his number for me. And there's two major factors. One, he's a Hall of Famer. He spent eight years in his prime putting up Hall of Fame numbers here, right? There's only... Three other players you can say that about. Actually, only two, because Pavel Bure, who we'll get to in a second, was only here for seven seasons. So right there, he's got the highest accolade you can get as an individual in hockey, going to the Hockey Hall of Fame, and he put a substantial, significant chunk of that career together here in Vancouver. Played extraordinarily well for them over a long time. So that's number one. Now, if you want to say, well, but eight years isn't long enough. It's not long enough with the franchise. As I mentioned... Pavel Bure, he has had his number retired. And Pavel Bure's case is so similar in so many ways to Roberto Luongo's. All-world talent. I disagree. Hold on. All-world talent, <laughs> relatively short time with the Canucks, awkward exit, goes into the Hockey Hall of Fame. There's a lot of similarities. Now, I'm not saying they're all identical, as I know you're going to get to, Drance, but there's a lot of surface similarities between the two cases. That's precedent. What's the case? What's the case? For retiring Pavel Bure's number 10, but not Roberto Luongo's number one. I am not aware of it. Roberto Luongo, as a goalie, played more games for the Vancouver Canucks than Pavel Bure did in only one additional season. So that's what it comes down to for me. Now, look, I will say, I am sympathetic, even though I don't 
get heated about it, but I'm sympathetic to the idea of the Canucks have too many retired numbers for a team that's never won a Stanley Cup. That, that wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily change the approach, but I can see where people are coming from with that argument. You're not lowering the standard with Luongo, though. The standard has already been set. There's no one you look at and say, well, if you're going to put Luongo in, then they have to put this guy in. He's a Hall of Fame player who played the prime of his career here in Vancouver. If the Canucks in the future all of a sudden have this glut of Hall of Fame guys who spent eight really good years with the Canucks, and they're thinking, oh boy, do we have to do we have to retire all their numbers too? Well, guess what? That's a great problem to have. We'll cross that bridge when we come to yeah, it. fingers crossed. But Roberto Luongo, he doesn't lower the standard. His numbers are worth it. I'm not even going to go into like all of his career numbers because I think everyone at this point accepts he's a Hall of Fame goalie, one of the best goalies of his generation. There's, you no, know, one we of the don't best goalies to, of all time. We don't need to defend his resume. It, that's what it comes down well, to. Well, we do me. if you're just saying one of the best goalies of his generation. One of the best goalies ever, period. Hall of Famer, the Pavel Burry case, to me, means you got to do it. It's, it's odd not to do it, and I'm not worried about lowering the standard. That's my argument, Drancer. The floor is yours to say your piece on Roberto Luongo. They got it wrong. Period. They got it wrong. And for me, the worst part about it is they got it wrong about a player whose legacy is so unassailable that it's going to look worse and worse as time goes on. Life moves fast, and 20 years from now, this is going to look ridiculous. Ridiculous that Roberto Luongo is on in the Ring of Honor. Uh, you know, you look at you look at the names. There's eight guys with Luongo being added to it in the Ring of Honor, and they were great Canucks, but none of them ever won a major NHL award. Luongo did, right? None of them were ever finalists for the Hart Trophy awarded to the league's MVP. Luongo was. Um, none of them are Hall of Famers for their contributions as a player, save for Pat Quinn, of course, who's in the Hall of Fame as a builder for his work as a coach and GM, not for his contributions as a third-pair defenseman for the expansion Canucks. It's an awkward fit. It makes no sense to have a player with Luongo's resume in the Ring of Honor. And here's the thing about Luongo's resume, right? He's got 250 career wins for this team, 252 career wins for this team. Do you know how hard it is for a a goalie these days to get to 250 career wins? (laughs) Like, the way that goalies are used, how long it takes them to break into the NHL, like, that's a record. That's probably not, you know, very likely to stand in a generation, maybe in 50 years, particularly given how goalies now are developed, how rarely they play, you know, like to put it into context, you know, Andre Vasilevsky hasn't yet hit 250 career wins for the Tampa Bay Lightning for the Tampa Bay Lightning. They've had historic seasons. They've been to three straight finals. He's still not there. I mean, it's wild. It's wild to think that, like, Thatcher Demko, let's take Thatcher Demko as an example, right? Say Thatcher Demko, who has 70 career wins at the moment and 150 career games played. Say Thatcher Demko, first of all, retrieves his form, which he will, which he will, and then proceeds to play six more seasons, 60 games a year, winning 30 of the 60. Right? That would still be 180 wins on top of 70. He'd still need two more. Mm-hmm. In order for that to happen, he's going to have to stay healthy. He's going to have to play really well. He's going to have to play behind a really good team. He's going to have to sign another contract after this one. Right? Like, even Demko, who was this hot shot prospect, elevated relatively quickly in his second year as a starter in his mid-20s, 
is like a long shot to get close. To get close, a lot's going to have to break his way. The team's going to have to suddenly be better. He's going to have to be durable and healthy. He's going to have to play great. He's going to have to be still worth starting on an almost every game basis in his, you know, age 33 season to have a shot. To have a shot. So this is one of those things where it looks bad today and the fans are not happy about it, right? I mean, you know you've made an error when you're like, we're going to do this to honor a player and the market's like, what? What? Huh? Yeah, and there are just senders you know, coming into the inbox, but I oh, mean, that, I know, that's, but, that's, but they're all they're all fifty, and they and they're talking about Kirk McLean, and it's just sad. There's no basis for their arguments. It's just like, oh, we don't like Drance, or oh, we just want to support everything the team does, even when they make hor- horrendously obvious mistakes. Luongo said today, and we'll play the audio that he heard about it yesterday, and of course he's too cool to care, but. You know, people who understand hockey, people who understand that Kirk McLean is a local icon and Roberto Luongo is a hockey icon, a Hall of Fame player who played his best hockey here, those people know it's open shot. Like, it yeah, really the, it really is open the, shot. The, the McLean thing, and it, again, it's a red herring, wanna, first of yeah, all. Yeah, that's what I would, that's the words I, were gonna, I was going to use. Like, yeah. It's not, I don't want to come on, I don't want to come in here and start, like, picking apart Kirk McLean's resume because well, I don't want to, I don't want to take away from what he meant to the franchise, but it's just, they're not in the same. They're not in the same echelon. They're just not in the same le- space as players. Kirk McLean, by the way, is the most decorated of the players in the Ring of Honor. Right? If you look through the Ring of Honor, like McLean wasn't ever a Hart Trophy finalist, but he once was fifth in voting. Uh, he was a second team All NHL guy during his Canucks tenure. He was a Vesna finalist during his Canucks tenure. Well, Luongo was a Vesna finalist too during his Canucks tenure twice, and he was second team All NHL. Twice, So he just doubles up all of McLean's resume. But really what makes Luongo great, what, what matters for Luongo, what matters for this Canucks team, frankly, this is where they link up, right, is it's one thing to have a great playoff run. It's memorable. It's iconic. You have the save, right? McLean had some great seasons in Vancouver. And he had some seasons that were okay. This, by the way, is what it looks like to be a durable League average starter, which McLean was for the Vancouver Canucks, which hopefully Thatcher Demko will be going forward. But this is a good sort of thing to remind people of. And we talk about it a lot, and, and it comes into play here. It's one thing to do it once. It's one thing to do it two out of five. It's another thing to do it year after year. Reliable, clockwork, machine-like. What makes Luongo one of the greatest goaltenders of all time isn't that he won a cup or a Vezina, because he didn't. It's that year after year, for like a dizzying span of time, 14 seasons, Luongo was above average every single year. He was capable every single year of dragging a team that wasn't even that good to the playoffs should he be in that situation. His save percentage gave every team he played for an edge every night while he was playing 60-plus games for 14 years. So Luongo spends really seven full seasons in Vancouver, um, and... All of them are above average by save percentage, except the lockout shortened season in which he only plays 20 games. So you'd sort of look at that and say his true talent didn't have time to regress, particularly given that Lou was a slow starter, right? 20-game season, I'm not counting that against him. Every year he played for the Canucks, Luongo was above average by save percentage, above league average. So I'm comparing relative to the era. This is not 
you know, th- being well, like, yeah. look at the career because, numbers of a goaltender in the... Because every goalie in the 2000s has a better save percentage than every goalie in the 90s, basically. Correct. Excepting, it's not, it's like, Dominic Kostic. So I'm doing, and, yeah. it, I'm doing it relative to era. Luongo yep. was above average every single season he played for the Vancouver Canucks, and usually he was well above it, right? Usually it was, like, 913 was the average, and he was, like, 928, 921, 923, right? Just dominant. A dominant goaltender the sort of goaltender who might be a first ballot Hall of Famer, the sort of goaltender that might start for Team Canada, the sort of stuff that we never talk about with Kirk McLean. And here's why, right? McLean was a great Canucks goalie. Again, probably the probably the most decorated, like the highest caliber of player among the Ring of Honor group. In his 10 seasons as a Vancouver Canucks starter, he was below average five seasons, average by save percentage twice, and above average three. Like the gulf in that, the repeatability of what Luongo did is what makes him an all-time great, is what makes him a first ballot Hall of Famer. It's what makes him an open, shut, obvious, no doubt about it. Your argument is bad if you're arguing against it. Inclusion among the banners hanging from the rafters. And, you know, I'm, I'm a guy who thinks it's totally fine that, you know, Smeal and Linden, who have that close bond to this franchise, have their numbers retired. For me, Pavel Bure was a no-brainer. And by the way, the, the comparison to me uh, between them, like, Bure held out. Bure was under well, contract me, and didn't even play. Let me read a few texts here, all right, because um, they, they tie into this as well. So this one comes in uh, from Anthony and Quillam. Simple question. Is he a Canuck? The, if the answer isn't an emphatic yes, uh, no retirement. That's from Anthony. He is, though. Quitlam. This one. Bure was drafted by the Canucks and is a Canuck. Luongo is a Panther. Case closed. He came from Florida and returned. He insulted the organization after they paid him millions, no. claiming publicly that his contract sucked. He failed in the biggest games. No jersey Ridiculous. retirement. Ridiculous. No, no, no. That's just such a lark. The organization moved on from Luongo, and he let it known that he'd be open to being dealt. And when that deal didn't come to pass... What did he do? He showed up and kept playing well. He showed up, he kept playing well. He kept doing his job for Vancouver. And when, between a rock and a hard place, the organization suddenly switched gears and instead traded Schneider, throwing Luongo back into the furnace, what did he do? He came back and he played well. And then what happened? The organization disrespected him again. Again. At which point he found a trade out of here. And again, I, I mean, I don't know what I don't know what to say. Like... That's on Lou? My point about That's the, on Lou. Burray held out. Well, Burray had thing. a contract so if, and decided if, if, not to report. If you're going to hold Luongo's exit from the organization against him, which, by the way, no, I don't people think People equivocate it. They're like, it's like Burray's. It's, I, like, it's not. It's not at all. And I don't even think Luongo's exit, relative to what we see across the world of professional sports, is like even that notable or acrimonious. I'm sure it wasn't pleasant for any of the people involved, but it's not like a legendary falling out. Plus, the Canucks did well. It was a good trade. They ended up with Jacob Markstrom. But again, <laughs> if you're if you're going to hold his exit from the organization against him, it was far, far worse and far messier with Pavel Bure. There's, far, there's, far there's worse. no dispute there. And I will say the other thing. And, and Bure, I've seen, Bure should have his number retired. I, there are four Hall of Fame caliber players who were at their peak during their Canucks careers. The most electrifying Canuck of all time is Pavel Bure. Mm-hmm. The greatest Canucks of all time are Henrik and Daniel Sedin. Right? And then you've got Luongo. And Luongo is the best goaltender, bar none, that this franchise has ever had, right? And and there is a case to be made, there is a case to be made, given where he stands in the echelon, like, number one goaltender of all time, Dominic Kashuk. Don't believe anyone who tells you otherwise. Number two goaltender of all time, Patrick Watt. Don't believe anyone who says otherwise. Then there's sort of a tier of guys. Mate, you can, you can throw up to ten names, and I won't get too mad at you. 
But Luongo's probably on the upper end of it. Like Luongo's definitely in the next four or five guys you might you might list based on his longevity, based on his consistency. You know, relative to the like, there's a real argument to be made that Luongo is the greatest Canuck at his position relative to the rest of the league. The player who mattered the most in an NHL history context relative to anyone else who ever played here. There's an argument to be made for that. Open shut. One should hang from the rafters. This team feels like they rushed it. They got it wrong. And I legitimately think that's going to look worse and worse as the years go by to the point where I bet in my lifetime they're going to have to change it. Like, I think it's that big a mistake. I think they're going to have to change it just because it makes no sense. And as the context of history unfolds and, and as 20 years from now, we're looking back and being like, wow, really? No one's ever getting close to this, some of what Luongo accomplished. I mean, it's just going to look ridiculous. Stupid. Uh, this text comes in from Marcus Gibson's. Who cares about Luongo's exit? It was about what he did while he was here, which was yep. Hall of Fame level goaltending. Uh, hockey mom in Gibson says, I grew up with Kirk. That was the team. That was my introduction to hockey. He means a lot to the city and franchise, but Luongo, hands down, deserves to have his number retired. His impact went beyond the team. It's really not about Kirk. It's not a, about Kirk. a McClain. great Again, Canuck, yeah, an he, iconic Canuck uh, in uh, his own right. Franchise icon, all of that. Like, still an ambassador with the franchise. Again, it's... I don't think you need to have – to me, and we addressed it because people text in about it, but to me when you're talking about Roberto Luongo, his legacy, whether or not his numbers should be retired, I don't think you really have to bring Kirk McLean into it. I think it's separate from it's the actual not about, discussion. It's just because he wore the number and yeah. because there's this 90s nostalgia factor that you know has convinced people that the flying skate's a good jersey, for example. Um, you know, I get it. I get it. McLean uh, is a really interesting one because, again, he's probably got the best case of the Ring of Honor guys – to, to be in a different tier, right? Until Ryan Kessler goes in there, um, you know, Kessler and, and McLean are sort of the two guys who sort of live on this line where, you know, if the Canucks hadn't retired so many other jersey numbers, you could say, eh, okay, I could see them being retired. Almost right on the line. But Luongo is so far over it, so far over it, he has a better case than three or four of the names hanging from the rafters. Like, a, like an open shot better case than lots of them. Including Pavel. This text comes in. Um, he is a Canuck. He gave the feeling he never Stop wanted it. to be here. His number is retired in That's Florida, ridiculous. where he spent the most number of years. Your arguments are beyond weak. I'm not really sure where the idea that he never wanted to well, be here comes from. He signed a 12-year extension with the team. I, I mean, he was ne- <laughs> he signed the, he, he the was, longest term possible. With he was the never team. a Canuck. Asked about you know what team he's what he would go into the hall, like what jersey he'd go into the hall wearing. He he answered Team Canada. Because he knows that his best hockey moments were here. Florida's his home. Florida's the team that did right by him and retired his jersey. You know, if if you were saying Luongo's not a Canuck now, guess what? That's on the organization. That's the decision they've now made. They've now made. A, it's wrong. But B, if it's true, it's only true as of today because of decisions that this club has made themselves. The other text is coming in. First of all, a couple other things. One, you know, and I've seen this. It's come up a couple times in our Dunbar Lumber text line. You can get your thoughts in as well. 650, 650. It's come up a couple times. um, The specific comment of my contract sucks with Roberto Luongo, which we all remember. Great soundbite. Lots to chew on from that. I'm not really sure 
why that's supposed to be a mark against Roberto Luongo. And I've seen, I've Sorry, seen people, the, the my contract sucks comment. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not really, and maybe somebody can text in and explain why they perceive it. No, no, not, it's, because, it's because these, sorry, I'm not going to say anything ad hominem. It's because these people are flailing, looking to justify their arguments. So it's like, he's not a Canuck! He's not a... Making stuff up, it's bogus. My contract sucks. He the, was, the made, context a, he was made available shortly after yeah. he was pulled off the ice to okay a trade to the Toronto Maple Leafs, yeah. which fell through at the last minute. Okay. Maybe we'll maybe we'll ask Dave about it when he's on our show again. We will. But he gets pulled off the ice, and in that context, after years of speculation about his future, having compromised, despite his no trade, to to assent to a trade not to his hometown, right? Not to Florida, where he originally wanted to drive the things. It falls through at the last minute, and he's made available shortly thereafter, and he's extremely emotional and feels completely trapped. He's not taking a shot at the organization. He was honestly reckoning with a situation that he'd found himself in. He was saying what everyone was thinking. Correct. Everyone knew the contract was the holdup on a trade. Everyone yeah. knew that. That's what he was saying. He wasn't saying, I hate my contract because it's keeping me stuck in Vancouver. He was asked, why is it not happening? And he said, it's because of my contract. That's the context for that comment. I don't. It was not supposed to be, you know, people saying, oh, he's whining about a contract that's making him millions. That's really not... Uh, what it was about. Certainly not from my perspective. I think if you look at the contract, <laughs> that's not what it was about. If, if you look down right now, Luongo has guests behind the Panthers bench. Vancouver yeah. fans who he's built relationships with that he's talking to following Panthers morning skate. Okay? I saw, I saw Luongo when we were coming through here, I think it was 2018 or 19, there was a terminally ill Canucks season ticket holder who bought a suite for the game because Luongo was her favorite player. And after a loss, after a loss, I remember escorting Lou up. And it was a beautifully emotional moment. And by the way, zero cameras, no attention, obviously. You know, the idea that this city doesn't mean the world to this guy, the idea that his time here doesn't mean the world to this guy, the idea that he didn't want to he didn't want to be here in the same context that a, that a guy like Pavel did, None of it holds water. None of it's yeah. factually true. It's all nonsense made up by people wanting to run down one of the four greatest players that ever played for this franchise and justify more ludicrous decisions by an organization that, you know, I mean, look, I've made it clear that I don't think this organization can be trusted with their future. This was the first time I ever felt like they couldn't be trusted with their past. Um. This text comes in. Looking back, his contract was actually a steal. What was it? Five point three million dollar cap hit. Yeah, for an uh, uh, for a for a guy who was an elite starter, like a nine two six starter until thirty seven. Like he uh, had he had four nine two six seasons after leaving Vancouver. It's ridiculous. Uh, I, I'm just trying to run through like all of the most common arguments uh, that we're getting against it, um, so we can run through and address them. Well, this just one. just just read the good ones. Well, just re- like if there's any good ones, let me know. Uh, I don't know. I don't think you will think the this first, one. The first pro Luongo argument, or the first pro not retiring Luongo's argument that's good will be a first. I don't, I don't think uh, you'll you'll say this one falls into the good category, but Tanbeer. Oh, no. Texan Drance. He choked against Chicago and Boston. Wake up. That's from Tanbeer. Look, there's obviously some moments you wish had gone differently in the playoffs. Like, let's not beat around the bush. He also had two shutouts against Boston. 
Yeah, I you mean, had two shutouts how many, in, the, in the Stanley Cup Finals. How many, like, you know, if we're going to do that, how many goals did Beret score in Game 7 against the Rangers? Yeah. How many points did Henrik and Daniel have in the Stanley Cup Final? You know, I mean, and by the way, I don't think those arguments are worth making because they're ridiculous. Because they're ridiculous. Hey, you know what else? Uh, Luongo gave up the game-tying goal to the United States with 30 seconds to play in 2011. Does it take away from his gold medal? Does it take away from the save he made on Pavelski in overtime? Does it take away from the save he made on Sharp in Game 7? I mean, you've got mountains of evidence that this guy was great. And you're pointing to two or three games, but not doing it for, I mean, Nasland, Linden, Bure. Yep. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Again, like, that the, the came up short in the playoffs argument might hold water. If if we were talking about you know the Montreal Canadiens, <laughs> no seriously though, seriously sure that it, if but we're not talking about that well, we're not we're talking about the Vancouver Canucks. So so if Luongo wins one more game in his career, if it was the right game, he's he's a no doubter. Yeah, to have and somebody somebody texted in that uh, the guys on Halford and Baroff were making that point right. You you flip one game and nobody has an issue. Well, with if you have to flip one game in a sport as variable as hockey and it changes a guy's legacy that dramatically. You probably should just accept that their legacy is secure regardless of that one game. That's probably you projecting your own disappointment. Yeah. And has no reflection on what he actually accomplished as a player in this marketplace, which was worthy of retiring. One should hang above the ice sheet. One should hang above the ice sheet. There's no doubt about it. This team messed it up. All right. Look, we appreciate everyone texting in, even uh, I don't. even people. <laughs> Okay. I want to be clear. I don't want to speak for Drance. I don't want to speak I, for Drance. Don't don't put words in my mouth, Jamie. I appreciate. I appreciate those messaging in with good arguments, which means you're arguing for Luongo being happy. I retired. appreciate text everyone texting in, because that's what it's all about here, at least from my perspective. <laughs> Ignore Drance. For, for, although, me, for me, too, to be clear. I'm just kidding. Although right. this text comes in, wow, I agree with Drance today. Mark that one on the calendar. <laughs> so there you go. You're, you're taking some people off, but you're oh. converting some people as well. Who are those four horsemen I see? <laughs> Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, there is some audio. Roberto Luongo met with the uh, the media here in Vancouver today, so we will play that at some point in the show. We'll play what Bruce Boudreaux had to say. Of course, they are, they're playing the Florida Panthers. There's a game tonight. That was a good first segment, but we'll turn our attention to the game tonight and the matchup with the Florida Panthers. That's coming up next. It is Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance, live from Rogers Arena on a Canucks game day. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And no surprise, the Dunbar Lumber text line overflowing, overflowing with spicy takes uh, after we got into the Roberto Luongo should they have retired his jersey argument? Of course, Luongo will be going into the Ring of Honor at Rogers Arena next year. Uh, we covered it at length. We covered it at length in that first segment. I just want to clear, clear up that players don't go into the Hall of Fame as yep. uh, representing a team. Yeah. So that's a that's a baseball thing, right? What cap are you going to wear when you go into Cooperstown? Correct. It's not a thing in the Hockey Hall of Fame. No. So there have been a few texts. Luongo didn't need to make that decision. Yeah, there have been a few texts saying, well, he went into the Hall of Fame as a Panther. It's and, not actually how it works. And asked what decision he would have made, he said... Team Canada. You know, like Patrick Waugh didn't go into the Hockey Hall of Fame as an Av or as a Montreal Canadian. He just went in as Patrick Waugh. And by the way, would you say that Patrick Waugh, because of his tenure with the Avs, shouldn't have been retired by the Montreal Canadiens? I mean, look, he won the Cups. He won two so Cups there. It's different. It's different, but 
You know, there's only two guys that have won 200 games for multiple teams as goaltenders. Like, it's hard to win 200 games. Really hard. To do it for two franchises is, is wild. It's only happened twice in hockey history. Was the analogy. Like, was the only analogy, and no one would say, oh, well, he's an av. And you know what? He actually asked out. Oh, yeah. He oh, actually you, asked out. You want to talk about messy exits? Now, again, it's it's hard to make the comparison because, because, of, the the, because of the Cups. So For I get sure. that. But, yeah, you want to talk but about messy exits. But that's the analogy. People don't think about these things. They just talk from the gut. Like, just think about it for a second, and it's bleedingly obvious. My goodness. All right. We're going to hear from a Roberto Luongo. A much calmer Luongo. Roberto Luongo. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. We're going to hear from Roberto Luongo at some point, but I do want to check in uh, on the game tonight. Yeah, there is a game happening at Rogers Arena tonight. The Canucks hosting Drancer's old Florida Panthers. Uh, Canucks looking to get back in the win column after very they lose old, to the Washington very Capitals. Very old. I don't know yes, any of I them know. anymore. Um a couple of quick updates this from isn't my Panthers. from Canucks Morning Skate. <laughs> uh, optional, so tough to say much about the lineup. I know it was Kyle Burrows and Jack Sudnika getting the workout after the the rest of the group finished, so that looks like they're going to be your scratches. Demko, first goalie off the ice, so makes sense after Spencer Martin loses uh, last game that we're going to see Thatcher Demko tonight. And, I mean, we'll see how the forward group looks after the shakeup of practice yesterday. You know, Boudreaux said the – experiment with Brock Besser up with Horvat and Miller. No guarantee that we would see it today. We'll have to wait until warm-up to see what it's going to look like, but that's your update. That's your Demko was going to get the start in net. Now, the matchup with Florida, really interesting one. They lost in Calgary. They lost in Edmonton. So they're 0 for Western Canada so far. And, of course, we all know... 0 for Alberta, man. The, the 0 for Alberta is, like, one of my favorite phrases there are. I even dropped it to Boudreaux. You'll hear it on the audio later. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I, I don't know why I'm being so pedantic today. Am well, I always like I, this? I, I know why. You're, <laughs> you're Thomas Trance. Oh. Um, my bad. President's Trophy last year. Big changes, obviously. Matthew Kachuk in. Huberto. Wegar out. And you look at their record, a little underwhelming. You look at their goal differential, underwhelming. You dig in a little bit more, and by every metric there is for how they are controlling play at 5-on-5, five five, they're elite, right? Second in scoring chance percentage behind the New Jersey Devils. That's per natural stat trick. Everything you want to look at. Shot attempt share, expected goals, et cetera, et cetera. They're right there in that range, top of the league. Goaltending? has been a big issue, especially, well, really only, when Sergei Bobrovsky has been in net, and it looks like we're going to see Spencer Knight <laughs> tonight. And their special teams has been a little bit below average. Spencer Knight's really good. Spencer Knight was drafted here. That's right. Uh, that was the last draft that I worked last month of my time with the Florida Panthers. Uh, so I shook I shook Spencer, Martin, Spencer, Spencer Knight's hands as he emerged from the stands, Section 106 or something, at Rogers Arena. Uh, he's really good. He's a really good player. And, yeah, so the Canucks face the Panthers' better goaltender, but no Barkov, and their depth is not the same as it was uh, in previous years. It, their blue line is definitely not the same that it was in previous it's years. It's definitely not, but you still look at, like, the top, I don't know, seven guys on the roster, and it's a really impressive group, even with Barkov out. Now, obviously, Barkov is a huge hole, but huge. Matthew Matthew Kachuk is having a phenomenal season in his debut in Florida. He, he is, like... He's crushing it. He's doing everything they absolutely could have asked for. And then the other guys, you know, Carter Verhege, Sam Reinhardt, Sam Bennett, 
not necessarily that same type of elite level talent, but all really, really good players. And then obviously you've got Ekblad, uh, Gustav Forsling on that pairing works very well. Brandon Montour having a really good year for them. So there is still that high-end talent that I think can pose the Canucks issues. I mean, we've talked about it a lot this year, right? The, uh, the true a elite. non talent No, 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 no. But, like, Matthew Kachuk I'm talking sure. about, Sure, right? Matthew Kachuk for sure. Aaron Ekblad. Yep. I would, I would put uh, in no, that No, no, 100%. Ek, Ek's like one of the two people I know on this team, so he's amazing. <laughs> um, sorry, I wanted to come back to something about the Florida Panthers, because I had this weird moment, for my, for me anyway, on my walk to the rink today. And, and sort of further solidified as I was talking to uh, ex-colleagues this morning in the bowels of Rogers Arena. You know, <laughs> I, I don't think like this anymore, right? It was like, um, it was like when you start thinking in a language that, that you've sort of um, forgotten or don't use every day because you go back to that country, like when you spend a week in Montreal and start like dreaming right. in French. I started thinking about how I'd be talking about and what I'd be worried about in my old role with the Panthers. And, you know, I was like, oh, man, the Dolphins are really good and exciting. Like, that's bad. But the Heat are really bad. And I think going to get worse here, super banged up, aging, no high-end core, probably not going to make the playoffs. Um, so that's good. But really, the next month, to six weeks is really important to the Panthers from a business perspective because what matters for the Cats, who always have a backloaded home schedule for business reasons, is like when bowl season ends and everyone looks at the standings and is like, what am I going to do for the next three months in South Florida? And you matter again for a brief period of time, relatively speaking. Where are you in the standings? Like, that always was determinative of Panthers' gate receipts over the latter half of the season. After bowl season ends, where are you in the standings? So this team needs to get going here. Now, they, I think they will. I think they're going to be a really good team. I think they're going to be a playoff team. I would be shocked if they fall short of 100 points. Shocked. Based on the way they're controlling play, based on the way they play at 5-on-5, five five, based on the quality up and down that lineup. But... They need to start winning games. An o for Western Canadian swing is not something I think they can stomach at this juncture. Uh, there, there seems to be a fair bit of confidence around the organization, but I also know, just from having done the job previously, like what I'd be worried about is that this, like, I don't... Playoffs matter, but I don't want to do the big comeback and make the playoffs right. thing. That doesn't help me. I need to be high atop the standings alongside Tampa Bay in that second week of January. Like when the Dolphins are eliminated from the playoffs and bowl season ends, where am I in the standings? That's really high leverage for the Panthers, organizationally speaking. Not that it'll impact like Paul Maurice's view of this game. They, they want to get rolling for normal hockey reasons. But that was sort of a thought that I was, I was having uh, just to give you a sense of how I used to think about life. Yeah, and it's interesting because they're still, obviously they're still very much in the playoff mix, and I would bet on them uh, to easily make the playoffs they're as well. Pass but if you want to look at the Eastern Conference as a whole, I mean, they're, they've fallen off. They've lost touch with Boston and New Jersey at the top, right? <laughs> Text in, by the way. Well, you wouldn't have to worry about if the Panthers were going to retire Luongo's jersey. No, I would not. No. 
That has happened already. Uh, they're even, you know, they're 11 points back of the Leafs who would be in third in the Eastern Conference right now. So to do that work, to kind of get back into the top tier of the Eastern Conference, a, a long way to go for Florida. But just to get back to solid playoff team and, you know, in form, winning games the way we expected them to, that turnaround to me can happen a lot more quickly than that, especially with the way Matthew Kachuk is playing, the way that they are controlling play. And we'll see... We'll see what uh, what the split between Spencer Knight and Sergei Bobrovsky uh, looks like. So far, Bobrovsky started 12. Spencer Knight has started 11, so basically exactly 50-50. But Spencer Knight has that's been... Not, that's not going to last. That's the thing. Spencer Knight has been so much better than Bobrovsky. How, how do you have it's got to switch at some point. How do you point. have a $10 million backup? It's not ideal. It's not what you want. With a full NMC. Oh, brutal. That is a tough spot for them. But that feels like it's going to be one of the biggest drivers of them, you know, quote-unquote, turning it around. is just playing their better goalie more than they play their less good goalie, yeah, right? right? And well, then all of a sudden it's going to be like, the Panthers are back! And Barkov's been, like, in and out of the lineup with an illness of some kind. You know, who knows what's, what exactly is going on there, but that'll help too. If you get if you get Bobrovsky, or sorry, if you get Barkov healthy for any prolonged stretch of time, that'll, that'll be a game-changer as well. Let's hear from uh, Bruce Boudreau, who, of course, spoke to the media after the team took an optional morning skate at Rogers Arena. Here's the Canucks head coach ahead of his team's game against the Florida Panthers tonight. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, I guess in a short version. I mean, uh, we had, didn't have a good game, and I think the players uh, know it, and uh, they want to rebound too because we'd been playing pretty good, and we want to get back to where we were. Does it start in the, in the puck bottle, Bruce? I mean... I don't think you won a lot of puck bottles the other night. Is that where it starts? I mean, I think in every game we I focus on puck battles because, I mean, we could talk systems uh, all day long, but in the end, whoever wins the battles usually wins the game. And uh, But, I mean, coming up with those pucks uh, on every, you know, one-on-one situation on the boards and the board battles is vital. So, I mean... Uh, it's something we, we emphasize a lot. We didn't do a very good job of it last game, so hopefully we'll do a better job of it tonight. I know you're focused on the game. Do you think it's important for organizations to honor uh, players that have made significant contributions in the past? Absolutely. I mean, this is the team's legacy. And uh, uh, when when players have had fa- fabulous um, careers with that organization, I'm all for and really... Uh, uh, really would love to see more teams do it more often to more players. It's a pretty spirited outing from your group on the BX night. Do you think that uh, these kind of ceremonies do anything for the players? I don't know. I don't know if it, what it does for them. I know it gets me excited. You know, I mean, so, I mean, you'd like to be here 15, 17 years and be, uh, be able to have the careers that these guys have had. And they're all great hockey players, and uh, I think they, they deserve to be honored tonight. Demko was, was certainly much better in San Jose. Do you see, he's, I gather he's starting tonight. Is this a chance for him to grab that net and get that momentum he hasn't had yet? Well, I mean, I think, uh, you know, three of his last four games have been really good. And uh, I think Demers the kind of guy that, you know, he went through a little bit of trouble at the beginning of the year, but you knew he was a good enough goalie that he's going to come get out of it. And uh, hopefully... The trend that he's started will continue into tonight's game. What do you expect from your top players who may not have had the best game against Washington bouncing back tonight? I mean, this is they're highly competitive guys. Do you expect to almost just see a better game? Yeah, yeah, I would hope. 
is that you don't win unless your best players are your best players. Bruce, what sort of threat does this Panthers team in particular face uh, or sort of pose based on the way they um, attack the speed on the back end in particular? Well, they, they're coming at you uh, very similar to Colorado, four deep every time. And uh, so they even when you're on offense, they're sort of putting you a little bit on defense that you have to be aware that you don't get caught. So, I mean, they're a, a team that if you turn the puck over against them, they're gone, and uh, you can't afford that. So, I mean, it's a, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great way to play if you've got the players to do it, and uh, they've had them, especially last year, and you know that they're going to be out there. They're, you know, they've lost two, two games out west here. They don't want to lose a third, so they're going to be playing their best hockey tonight. You, you pay close attention to the schedule when you see a team coming into Vancouver having gone over in Alberta. Um, what's, what's your general reaction to that? Well, you wish that they hadn't have given up a goal against Edmonton in the last five seconds. And uh, then the next night, they, you know, they probably were still reeling from the previous night. But now they've had a rest. They've had a time to regroup. And they were the president's trophy champions last year. So you know that the, they're going to come out and give it their best shot. You've leaned on Ethan Bear a fair bit. How much more comfortable do you sense he is today than he was even two weeks ago when you were out east? Uh, you know, I don't know if the comfortability is, is 100%. He's been... Uh, he's played some really good games, but then he's been inconsistent a little bit. And we talk about it all the time about uh, him being a good player really means him being a consistent player and somebody to be able to rely on every day and then not know whether he's going to be good or bad. And uh, um, he understands it, and his goal is to be more consistent. And, and uh, you know, and he's playing with a pretty good player that's helping him along too. Is that a more general message to the group as well because it does seem like that inconsistency has maybe been a defining trait of your first 21 games yeah I mean at least for the first 10 anyway and uh, uh, but I mean you know coaches and we have to know you know every game what we expect to be brought to the table and if it, when it's not there it's a it's a lot of adjustments during the game but I mean uh, I think we're getting better uh, as every game goes along. I think, uh, and I'm hoping the last game was an anomaly, but I mean, the previous six were, were pretty good games. That's Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreaux ahead of his team taking on the Florida Panthers tonight at Rogers Arena. Of course, you'll be able to hear it all here on Sportsnet 650. Pre-game at 6, puck drop at 7, and then your post-game coverage, of course, as well. Uh, as you heard there, Transfer Boudreaux would have preferred that the Panthers found a way to pick up a point in Alberta. You uh, you didn't get to see it, obviously, because this is an audio This medium. is radio and a podcast, yep. yes, yep. correct. But Bruce's reaction when I asked or when I put to him that, you know, um, inconsistency was the defining sort of characteristic of this team through 21 games, um, the resignation there, which, you know, just like, oh, man, yeah, you're not wrong. Was uh, was notable to me. I, I I don't know that he'd thought of it in those terms. I guess he's not listening to Canucks talk. I'm sure he has more important things to do. Um, but I, I you know I, I noted that certainly. I was like, oh boy, like he really. It's not that he didn't like it or thought even disagreed with it. He mm. just didn't. He didn't like the fact that he didn't disagree with it. it. You could like see that in his posture. The other interesting thing that stood out to me there, one of them was. Uh, asked about what he was expecting from the Florida Panthers and mentioned, you know, they attack four, four across, four through center, four yeah. through the neutral zone. And 
It's a great way to play if you have the players to do it. No question. No question. Well, especially because I'd asked about the back end, right? Um, lastly, I thought it was really interesting, his description of how the Panthers keep you conservative with their pressure game. Their aggressiveness actually neuters how aggressive you can be because hockey is not a static contest, right? Hockey is a flowing, free-flowing contest. You are actually always, at all moments, both attacking and defending, right? Every pass you make, every touch you have, has the potential to go the other way and hurt you, be punished. And so I thought that was a fascinating window into how Boudreaux thinks about the, the sort of pressure that aggressive teams can apply. Because we know, like, what's the best trait that Boudreaux brings? It's that he knows that hockey aggression will result in good defensive results. Like, what, what is the fundamental reason Boudreaux's been so successful? He believes in that. It's bone deep. High and pressure. He, and he's right. He's talked about it. Oh, he, He's talked about it when he came in last year, right? That's what, that's what they want to do. It's not so much about systems. It's about putting pressure on ev- every, everywhere on the ice, every inch. Make them, make them work under pressure. Yep. Well, in, in, in addition to his uncanny emotional intelligence, right, his genuine goodness, that is what has made him one of the greatest regular season coaches in the history of the sport. It's that belief in pressure and the application of it. I mean, that's what makes him special. And so I thought it was really interesting to hear him get into it in a specific sort of context about a matchup. Um, you know, we don't always get that sort of glimpse into high-end uh, hockey thinking from, from a coach as accomplished as Boudreaux. I, th- I felt like we got a little taste of that in the availability this morning. What are you expecting to see from the Panthers uh, tonight? Because, uh, you know, as you, as we mentioned, still a really talented team, even without Barkov in the lineup. Um, thir- third third game in four nights for them, but, you know, didn't play last night. Obviously, the relatively short travel from Alberta. At playnow.com, I believe they're minus 125 favorites. Canucks plus 105. So, you know, for a team on, on their third in four nights, on the road to still be favored in that scenario. I think that speaks to a level of respect based on their underlying numbers and the fact that they are, you know, the defending president's uh, trophy winners as well. Sorry, we got a text in and I just have to read it because it's like designed to make me mad, like in a lab designed to annoy me. Pretty sure the Canucks aren't retiring Luongo's number because anything can happen. Uh Oh, man. They're doing it just to annoy you, Dranson. No, I know. (laughs) Um... Oh, man. You know, I when I was in high school, I, I went to high school. I, I, I lived like 45 minutes from where I went to school in West Vancouver, but I, I grew up uh, over in Carisdale. And so I, I took cabs a lot. Like I had to take cabs a lot, sometimes to bus stops, sometimes sure. all the way. And uh, my friends got in this habit of telling me that what we really needed was a five-person cab. And I never w- w- got wise to the joke. I'd just get really mad and tell, how many times do I have to tell you there's no such thing as a five-person cab? That doesn't exist. And then, and then I'd just go about my evening like nothing happened, but everyone would be sniggering about it behind my back because, you know, uh, there's no such thing as a five-person cab, and I never realized that they were doing it just to make me mad. So you're saying that if the Canucks get back to within one point of the playoff spot or, like, in 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 per the NHL standings but not by points percentage, that 
I should keep bringing it up and you won't get wise that I'm doing it just to <laughs> just to troll you. That's what you're saying. That joke can live forever because it will always work on you. You'll always take the bait. Pretty much. I'm not very good at that uh, specific social cue. Like that specific thing of being like, oh, that person's intentionally making you mad because you're predictable. That is something I'm not good at. I remember we on. did it, and we, we're going to have to bring this back or something along these lines, but we did it at one point last season where we had people... I think we called it just trigger drance, and people would just text in takes designed to trigger you. And even in that situation, where we're announcing that it's designed to annoy you, it still annoys it me. It still worked. Yeah, it still absolutely worked. <laughs> so like, I know goes. what people are trying to do here. I know it's targeted at me. But, oh, it just makes me so mad. Any anything can happen. I don't know what it is about that specific phrasing that just drives me bonkers. You know what it is? It's that it's an excuse. It's like. The easiest excuse and justification for passivity is anything can happen, and it just boils my blood. Because it doesn't have to be this way. Anyway, we'll save that rant you're for another time. Getting, you're getting introspective about why it annoys <laughs> you so much, and then it's annoying you even there, more. There is a five-person cab. It's called a bus. So. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. It's a good one. Uh, it's from Lee Fader Steve in the inbox. Keep your thoughts coming in, 650-650. We'll take a break. Sean Gentilly. Trancer's colleague at The Athletic uh, will join us. We'll get his thoughts on the Canucks. I think the Luongo retirement or not retirement as well. And some around the league discussion with Sean. That's coming up next. It's Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk, second hour of the show here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Daw, Thomas Drance, live at Rogers Arena. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com, live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. Very pleased to be joined by our next guest. He covers the NHL for The Athletic. He is Sean Gentili. Sean Gentili excuse me. Sean, thanks for doing this. How are you? Fellas, how we doing? We're doing very well. We're fired up. We're having a fired up day here, Sean, because uh, the Canucks announced that they are going to put Roberto Luongo in the ring of honor instead of retiring his jersey. And it's uh, caused much debate, much spirited debate uh, between us and our listeners. I'm always curious to get an outsider's perspective on things like this. Somebody from outside of the city and the fan base. Does it if the Canucks retired Luongo's number would it feel right to you or would you look at it askance as a kind of an odd decision I'm all for it like I've been in the tank for Luongo for a long time I mean like there was debate over whether it should be first ballot hall of fame I thought that was crazy so I, I that's see to me that's sort of the dividing line I know like each franchise has different standards on who gets a jersey retired versus who gets put in a ring of honor but I think, like, the first-class, first-ballot Hall of Fame line is a pretty good one to follow. And, you know, I, I think Luongo deserved to get in, and I, I think he deserves to – like, it, it's also just it, – in, like, a less tangible way, I think, like, number one is just him. You know what I mean? Like, that's I, it's tough to imagine anybody else with that franchise, you know, wearing it. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Push it, push it through. I don't see what the problem is. It's not like there's a ton of. I mean, it, you could open the floodgates. I guess is, is the argument. I, I would imagine the, the counter argument, right? Like, if he goes in, who who else on those teams gets their uh, gets their number retired? But I don't know, man. He was the well, guy. He's still the guy. 
Yeah, it's interesting, Sean, because I th- there's a kind of a perennial argument or an ongoing argument here in Vancouver. Like, do they have too many jerseys retired for a team that's never won the cup? And I'm not I, – I don't want to dismiss that out of hand, but the floodgates argument with Luongo, well, as you said, he was a first ballot Hall of Famer who spent eight really good years here. So there's not a lot of other guys who fit that criteria. So I don't think it's letting him right. in that's going to open the floodgates, you know? I mean, he's the first He's the first guy in off those, right? Like, I mean, like, to, I guess you get – no disrespect to the Sedins, but like on those te- on those teams, I don't know. Like we're not talking about retiring, you know, Alex Burroughs' jersey or, or or whatever. I mean, this is this is the guy. Like I I I think there's I think there's reason for it. One argument that gets made locally, and I'm just curious to get an out of market perspective on it, and then we'll talk about other things, Sean. But I I just need to pose this to you and get a reaction uh, an, a reaction from someone who lives in Pittsburgh. One argument that's made locally is that retiring Roberto Luongo's number one would be disrespectful to fellow Ring of Honor honoree Kirk McLean. What's your gut reaction to that? <laughs> I mean, Drant, you and me are the same age. Like, I, I don't. God bless Kirk McLean, right? But yeah, he was good. Uh, I'm taking I'm taking Roberto Luongo a hundred times out of a hundred. What's the What's the question here? Like, maybe. <laughs> Maybe this is me speaking in my capacity as a dude who was born in 1986, and I'm like disrespecting Kirk McLean un- unfairly. But yeah, I I don't think I don't really think that's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, you covered Jim Rutherford teams for a long time. Um, this Canucks team has the same number of points as the Philadelphia Flyers at this juncture of the season, having played the same <sighs> number of games. What would you expect at this juncture? from a Rutherford team based on your experience covering him as a top executive? You know, I think the last time I, I talked with you with, uh, with, the, with your station up there was like a day or two before they traded for Ethan Bear. Right. And I was like, get ready for some movement on the, on the, among the bottom pair defensemen, right? Like that's like the classic Jim Rutherford move is like, you know, when when in doubt, move out, <laughs> move out, or add a new fifth or or sixth team in, and then and then you know the the bear thing happens. So I, you know, <laughs> I think I think I've been saying this for whatever a year now. Like Jim's gonna come in, he's gonna he's gonna make moves, he's gonna do this, he's gonna do that, and it hasn't happened yet. So I'm gonna keep saying it, but I don't even know if I believe it anymore. And I think it's obviously, God knows, you guys have, you know deconstructed this down to down to down to the base level but you know there's I, I think his hands are tied and in a lot of regards because you know there's it's a classic it's a classic trap I think you see like really like teams that are in deep trouble fall into where it's like the guys who are tradable are the guys you really don't want to trade and then everybody else has you know minimal trade value if anything right I feel like that's kind of where they're where they're locked into if, if you're looking at you know names that the gym can move out. And that still is always, always my first reaction, you know, and I think that's Jim's, Jim's first reaction too. when in doubt, make a move, but there's a reason we haven't seen that much out, out of him at the same time. One of the interesting things about Rutherford's time in Pittsburgh is obviously, you know, we remember the back-to-back cup victories and a lot of the moves he made to put the finishing touches on those teams. But you look at the the start of his time in Pittsburgh, and it wasn't necessarily a bunch of home runs in a row uh, no. to begin, to begin his time there. 
What was it that changed, right, that that went from a bit of a rocky start to the back-to-back cups? Was it a change in philosophy, or was it just like, you know, he's making the same type of bets, and all of a sudden they started to hit a little bit more frequently? He got the coach right. That's what happened for Jim in, in Pittsburgh. You know, he ended up with a guy who, in Mike Johnston, who, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that he was pretty far down the list of names to work through in that coaching mm-hmm. search way, way back when. You know, has one bad season. Has has one pretty lackluster season where you know Sidney Crosby looked like a half decent, you know, second line center. He he sucked the joy out out of those teams. Wisconsin did, and and it happened, you know, pretty quick. So had one season of that. Started the second season was out by November. You know, Jim to his credit, I think had planned for it. That's why Sullivan was in the AHL in the first place, and uh, and then, and then he got that right in a matter of you know a week or two. He fired Mike Johnson and replaced him with Mike Sullivan, and he basically traded Rob Skidary, who was you know far far past for that point, for Trevor Daly. And Trevor Daly, like you know, say what you will about him, he had been he was having a rough go of it in, in Chicago back then. But that kind of signaled, you know, all right, we we have a coach, and we're also adding guys that do what the coach wants wants them to do. And that was it from 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 then on. It was it was a heater. You know, by the, by a general manager that you're not going to see all that often. Sean, I mean, when you think about this Canucks team and what they have here, um, I mean, from a league-wide perspective, is this a matter? Like, is this a team that can tweak their defense core and and be something, or are they further away from that when you look at it with you know the global focus that you have in your work? I think they're a classic example of a team that, you know, we assume that because they have the big pieces in place, theoretically, they have the, the top, you know, the top end offensive skill guys. They have a guy who, you know, should be a top 10 or 12 D league wide in, in Quinn Hughes. They have Demko. They have like all these boxes at the, cho- at the top of the lineup checked, right? So everyone, you know, kind of thinks that the pieces are going to fall into place. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you guys. I'm, I'm with what you've been saying about them for, for, for however many months like it's the it's the bottom of the it's the bottom of the roster that you know kind of turns into a mess and, and you look at the defensive group and you know gosh it, it's it's tough to see where the improvements going to come from and i think that because you know as we said before a lot of guys they don't want to trade and a lot of guys they probably can't really trade so yeah I, and i think that's truer that's certainly more true for the defensemen than than anybody else, because what are you going to do? You're 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 trying to improve your defensive group. You're you're going to move out Quinn Hughes? I don't think so. And then beyond that, what like what's there to do? Is it, they're they're stuck in a tough place. And I think that you know the defensive group, and in particular, is where that's pretty clear. One of the one of the things they could potentially do, and as you mentioned, it's 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 this trap of if you want to make changes, it probably has to be really good players going out the door and. Bo Horvat on an incredible goal scoring mm-hmm. heater, not just this season, going back to the end of last year as well. He's the captain. He's also an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. It seems so bizarre when you look at how things normally go in the NHL to be talking about potentially trading that player. But is that kind of the inescapable conclusion, given where the Canucks find themselves, <laughs> that they're going to have to move on from him? Can you imagine if if it was if he's the guy going into you know that instead of extending that they move out? instead of instead of Miller like it would be it would be I'm sure it would be nice for Jim Rutherford to have another like oh I don't know eight million dollars a year to work with under the cap moving forward like I that just seems like such a 
that's a net loss, isn't it? And I, it is. It's it's hard to believe that that's that that's what that that's where it's come, like where it's come to for them. But man, you look back at the summer, and I, this is this is you know Jim Rutherford reaping reaping what he sowed when he made when he made the decision to extend Miller. That really seems like the pivot point, you know, where it's like they locked for better or worse, they locked into that roster, and the results. When you guys when you guys said it, I I honestly did not realize they had the same number of points as the Flyers. Like that's grim. That group has has the same number of points as the Philadelphia Flyers this season. Tough to tough tough to fathom. It's tough to stomach for sure. But I mean, also the Buffalo Sabers. Don't ignore them. Um, with <laughs> I have more time. I have more time for the Sabers than the oh, Flyers. Oh no, I, I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> I, I the Buffalo Sabers have won more uh, clear victories than the Vancouver Canucks have to this point, Ugh. even though they have the same number Ugh. of points overall. Vancouver slightly better in one-goal games than the team with Craig Anderson. Um, so, sorry, Sean, with Rutherford, we talked about Rutherford's first year in Pittsburgh, right, which ends with a 4-1 and one loss in the first round, um, and then the heater that he got on. Do you see any analogies? I mean, this summer... Uh, this offseason, the first cycle of the of Jim Rutherford's tenure obviously probably hasn't gone to plan or, or certainly doesn't look mm-hmm. at this juncture like it's gone to plan. Do you see any potential for for a turnaround of the sort that he managed or that the front office under his uh, guidance managed in his time with the Penguins? I mean, that's a good, that's a good question. That's the question, isn't it? Like, yeah. can he replicate what we saw in Pittsburgh and it's easy to say no, but at the same time, you know, back in November of 2015 or whenever, whenever we're talking here, if you would have told me that they could have moved Rob Skidari for anything at all, I would have said you were a liar. Right. So if you want to try to, you know, port that over to the Canucks roster you know, maybe maybe Jim can move an immovable defenseman for you know for for a decent player or cap space. Maybe pair that with a coaching change. Like, I don't know. Like that's that it makes sense. It sh- it should be on the table. It's, you got to figure that's that's what he's trying trying to do. You look at the roster makeup and and you can see you can imagine like oh yeah, I'm saying like that. Yeah, this is this is similar to what I to what I was dealing with way back when. But man, that's a tough. It's a tough ask, because the other thing, and and the and the for as ugly as you know and uneven as as his first year in Pittsburgh was, and it was by the way, it was full of salary cap issues. At one point, they were playing with five defensemen. I mean, it was a mess, and that and that playoff series was was ugly. You know, when they made that move to salvage stuff, it was earlier in the season. It was like mid November. You know. American Thanksgiving time, and they were farther up in the standings than much farther up than the, the than the Canucks are now. So I don't know, man. To, to me, I, you, you hate to you hate to punt on a season on December one, but it feels like that's where they are just just by virtue of how ugly the start's been. So it's not Jim trying to salvage a season like back then. It was him trying to salvage one year of Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin's you know prime. Whenever the team was performing all right, just kind of lackluster, right? And mm. whatever's going on in Vancouver is a lot worse than that. Well, it does feel like he has decided not necessarily not to try to salvage the season, but to your point, he makes the coaching change. 
given everything we've heard him say about Bruce Boudreaux publicly, I think <laughs> if he was trying to salvage the season, we would have seen a coaching change, don't you think? You would imagine so, right? Like, I, I don't – It's that's why the whole thing, and you guys are a hundred times more, you know, clued into that is than, than I am at this point. But, yeah, that's still, to me, just like the $10,000 question league-wide is, like, what's what's Bruce – still doing there and it it is the obvious answer you know the 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 money the salary you know potentially paying three coaches at the same time is that enough to just carry the day is that the reason like like i'm who knows but clearly like you know there's there's some other there's some other reason for it and what's gone on especially again like over the last few weeks like they just keep the bounce just isn't happening and it, it at a certain point you know, I, psychologically, you have to just accept that this just isn't that this isn't going to be it. Because there's a, there's a lot of teams out west too. Like there's, I know I know the Flames are down, but there's some there's some competitive teams there that I that I think we weren't really expecting to be in the mix too. For sure. So I don't know, man. It's it's a it's a mess from from the other side of the continent here. That's that's for sure. Well, let's pivot off that actually, Sean. Uh, instead of I, I was going to kick back some more. Boudreaux theories to you but you know what it's more fun let's let's talk about the west with regards to some of the teams that have gotten out like I'm going to ask you to buy or sell on the following three teams mm-hmm. are, are, okay ready yep are you going to buy or sell short or go long on the Winnipeg Jets that's a they're a soft buy for me I think mm-hmm. Murata Tesh is, is our beat writer for, uh, for for the Jets has kind of sold me on them over the last over the last couple of weeks, you know, it, it started out with Hellebuck, you know, saving their bacon early in the season, but they've rounded into what, what appears to be a pretty decent team. I'm, I'm, I'm in on them. The Seattle Kraken. <laughs> That's <a laughs> one, you're selling hard, I, huh? Like, am I? You're selling hard. I, I, Are I you? can get it. I don't know if I want to bet on Martin Jones for a full season. That's that's that's, that's what I'll say. But you're shorting the roster, your Kraken. The roster's stock. interesting. They got veneers doing stuff at the top, right? I, I think all they need is just general competency. And if I, I don't know if I would pick them to you know, pick them to like make the make the playoffs at this point, but I'm comfortable saying that you know that they're gonna they're gonna stay ahead of the Canucks. Wow, um, veneers. By the way, as as you know, you of course are um, you know not. A deeply objective journalist when it comes to everything except American hockey, right? Um, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Beniers, right. though, you know, he's got that weird X factor where every shift he yep. takes, he plays like he thinks yep. he's the best player on the ice. Whether he is or not, he it, plays like he thinks he is. It doesn't matter, yeah. It's, and it, I love it's it. immaterial to the truth, right? Yeah, he's got the, he's got the oomph factor, and that's what they missed last season. They needed, you know, an alpha dog top six dude and that and that was it they got ahl caliber goaltending from grubauer for over the in chris rieger over the course of a of a full season and they didn't have a dude at the top of the lineup and now martin jones is held together and veneers looks like a dude all of a sudden they're you know second in the division i'm not surprised by it i'm just not sure if jones can hold it together for you know five more months all right let's let's go one more leading surprisingly the central division the Dallas Stars buying or oh, selling? I love them. <laughs> you love them. I love them. Yeah, they're good. That might be my heart. That might be my heart talking. But I, they're, gosh, they're fun, man. Robertson, Robertson's leveled up. I mean, he's understandably in the heart discussion when you look at 
you know, whether it's Don Lestration tracking those or Greg Wyshynski, ESPN, doing the straw pool for, you know, hard candidates. He's he's in there with McDavid. I think he deserves to be. Ottinger's really good. Haskinen's, you know, going to end up he's got the reins on a off. whole bunch of Norris ballots. Yep. And the, the support's kind of there. Like, Jamie Benz hooked up to the rejuvenation machine. Tyler <laughs> Sagan is, you know, a year, another year out of catastrophic, you know, quad and knee injury stuff. So I don't know, man. I like them. I like what the Boers. I like what the Boers brought to the group. I'm. I don't know if I am. I ready to to buy on them over the Central Division champion, like over the course of regular season. I'm I'm close. I like uh, them a lot. A couple more minutes with Sean Gentile. He covers the NHL for the Athletic. It's kind of funny. This uh, this season so far for the NHL is really bad for everyone who complains about retread coaches. Because just look at a lot mm-hmm. of the teams we're talking about, right? And it's, you know, Pete DeBoer in Dallas has them playing so well. Rick Bonus, who he replaced, has the Jets playing really well. Bruce Cassidy goes to Vegas, uh, has them playing really well. The team he left, who hires Jim Montgomery, they're playing great too. It's kind of funny. It's just sometimes <laughs> it really speaks to the power of the new voice theory, right? Get somebody in there who's, who's just going to do things a little different, and it can do wonders for a team. Absolutely. And it's like, you know, you're, it's the George Costanza thing, right? Where you're like, you're, you're thinking one way, you start doing the opposite and then all of a sudden things, things are going your way. Like Rick bonus in, in Winnipeg is kind of the prime example. I know, I know, I know you just mentioned him, but you know, he gets in there, he's bringing some added, some kind of defensive structure, which is completely broken down, you know, late in the Paul Maurice era. And all of a sudden, you know, that seems like that's what that's what the team needed, and it, and it really has. Like that team in particular, I was ready to just kind of write off their early season success as just being, you know, this is hell of a buck, like whatever. That might that might have been true in the first few weeks, but really since you know the start of November, that's a pretty good five on five team now, and they're and they're and they're scoring goals, and they're not you know leaking in the way that they have in the past, and they have a legit. You know, Vesna candidate is their is their goalie with bonus running all of it. So yeah, he's like he's like the prime example of that because let's be real, like Rick Bonus, he's been around for as long as any of the three of us have been has been alive, right? He's been coaching just forever, and you know he was the interim guy in Dallas for a little bit. Blah 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 blah. Like there's no if, if you ask people <laughs> to talk about like retread, you know, veteran coaches or whatever you whatever you want to say, he's like example A. Yeah. And he's having as much success as anybody. So kudos to him, man. He's he's like the he's the prime example for me. Wasn't he the first coach of the Ottawa Senators? <laughs> he's been around. <laughs> um, so let's take the logic of your buying to its final conclusion. So you're buying the Kraken, or at least you're not shorting the Kraken. Uh, you're maybe I'm not, not holding long, Kraken, but you're yes, not shorting the, the Kraken. That's the best Kraken. way to phrase it. You are you are buying. You are long on both the Stars and the Jets. So, assuming you're also long on the Avs, right? Uh, the Golden Knights, like, I mean, mm-hmm. we're running out of room. We're running out of playoff spots here. Like, what do you? Yeah. See, how do you see the? Sh- how do you see the playoffs shaping up out west? Uh, who do you see being sort of on the outside of? And I'll give you the list of teams: Flames, Oilers, Kings, Kraken, Golden Knights, Stars, Jets, Avs, Wild, Predators, Blues, and let's throw in the Canucks. Who, I mean, are the Canucks the first team you name as as team you're not expecting to get in? From that group, yeah, I would I, w- I would say so. Like it, it's just it's tough to see where they're gonna 
I mean, the Wild are outside are outside the Wild card right now, right? Yeah. Like they're there on points percentage, but it's but it's them designed and, for it's them. them. Calgary kind of, it's them and Calgary kind of seesaw for that second spot. I don't know. I I feel like the the space the, if there's a space for another team to get in the mix, whether it's you know Vancouver or whoever else. I think the Kings are ready to be picked off. Like that, their goaltending is really, really bad. We just saw Cal Peterson make it through waivers. You know, they're in King and Quick hasn't been you know much better. So they're in playoff position right now. I think if you want to do the old like, you know, which of these teams is going to be the exception to the Thanksgiving rule? I feel like it's I feel like it's them because for as fun as that, as fun as that forward group can be and. You know, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot to like about that roster. The goaltending is just putrid. So I, it's it's easy to imagine them, you know, not being able to, to stitch it together. Like that's that's the one I would highlight. That's the team that's in playoff position right now. That I would say, like, these are the guys that that might be able to get picked off. Short in the Kings, Sean. Always appreciate the time, man. Always appreciate the conversation. We'll chat again soon. Love it, fellas. Have a good one. That is Sean Gentili covering so buying the Buying and selling with Sean Gentili. Yes, <laughs> our local our local NHL team stock picker. Covering the NHL for the athletic. He's not local, though. He's in not Pittsburgh. Local. He's in Pittsburgh. Yeah. We'll, we'll come on for us. Yeah, so. He's the best. That's nice. Um, a lot of interesting stuff there. I thought it was really fascinating when I asked him about, first of all, he did a great job ignoring your uh, dreadful pun about the Minnesota Wild <laughs> and the wild card. <laughs> Kudos to Sean for just powering through and not acknowledging it. It was really bad. I'm not going to let Grant throw me off of something like that. But I thought it was interesting when he was talking about Rutherford's early time in Pittsburgh, and I asked him what changed, what kind of got things on the rails. And it wasn't about personnel, at least not initially. The the first thing he said was, or player personnel, I should say, the first thing he said was, well, he got the coach right. And then went on to say, got the coach right and got players who could do what the coach was asking him to do. And we talked a little bit about Bruce Boudreaux, but it's just kind of another reminder that, you know, this was not Jim Rutherford's coaching hire. And to hear the outsider perspective kind of express that bewilderment of, well, hold on, Rutherford obviously doesn't think he's the right coach. Why is he still here? Why have they not started that process of, you know, getting that alignment, which we talk about all the time, getting the right coach so you can start matching the personnel to what your coach is going to want them to do. I, I thought that was an interesting comparison to Mike Sullivan coming in in Pittsburgh and eventually obviously going on to have a ton of success there. Yeah, and I, I mean, it's a it's a big question. Something we've talked about a lot, right, is that Rutherford's first year in Pittsburgh was, you know, not dismal, but not great. Certainly not the um, instant impact that he ultimately ended up having there. Um, you know, Look, I think it's just a much different task because I don't know that the top end of this roster compares favorably to the top end well, of that one. I, I mean, I do know. It doesn't. It and doesn't. that's not a slight against Elias Pettersson. No, Crosby, Malkin are Hall of Fame guys. Hall of Fame guys. Yeah, like, I mean, and Crosby Hall of Fame understates it, right? <laughs> it does. Crosby's the best player of the last 25 years. Yes. He, Correct. No, I mean, he is. Like, you're right. You're right. I'm short. I'm, I'm selling on Crosby. Come on. Um... So, but but not just that, I also think the, you know, he's talking about the Scuderi contract, right? And the Scuderi contract was bad, but it wasn't forever. You it's know, also, it wasn't forever. Like, at the end of the day... Though, it's not that long ago, what is it, seven years ago we're talking about, but it still was a very different perspective about cap space and contracts. For sure, around teams hadn't quite not figured to, out... Not to mention it's pre-flat cap era, totally. right? So it's a, 
but it was very but, different. But it was also, you know, he's talking about a $3.375 million deal for two years. Like, two years remaining on it. You know, granted, there was a no trade, but, I mean, that's not nearly as difficult to move as some of what Vancouver's looking at in terms of the inefficient money here. So, you know, I, I think the scale of the task is tougher. But I'm not out on Rutherford, even if I didn't love his first offseason here, in part because we've seen him win cups in massively different markets, non-traditional circumstances, uh, hockey markets in the U.S., like uh, cap era. He won the first cup of the cap era before really that logic had sort of yep. hit. He won it again, you know, deep into the cap era with the Pittsburgh Penguins, now coming out of the flat cap era. You know, I'm not out entirely on on Rutherford. I still think he's a, an enormously impressive executive, but it is going to take something like that run if this team's... And the difference is, is that that run powered the Penguins to back-to-back cup runs. I think this team needs that type of run just to be, like, taken seriously. You know? That's, that's different. I think the thing, and I think the reason why I keep coming back to that comparison of, okay, Rocky first year and then turns it around, is it speaks to the boldness that we always hear about with Rutherford, right? The, right? the willingness to try new things, to look at it and say, this isn't working and I'm not going to wait around to see if it fixes itself. I'm going to take steps to try to fix it. I also think that's, that's what <laughs> I, I'm reading. I read the same text as you, but I think that's what fans have kind of been waiting for to a certain degree as well here in Vancouver, right? The, the willingness to step up and say, you know what, this isn't working uh, and we're going to do something different. Do you want to read the text? Marcus and Gibson's text in. Uh, Sean said the Wild are out of the wild card spot, even though they're in by points percentage. Looks like Sean is on Team Jamie. That's correct. Well, we'll never have him on again. <laughs> That's correct. Um, we're going to take a quick break. We'll, we'll hear from Roberto Luongo. He spoke to the media today ahead of the Florida Panthers game against the Canucks. First, I do want to tell you tomorrow about the City News 1130 and the Great Big Give Holiday Breakfast. Friday, December 2nd, that is tomorrow from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. You can kick off the holiday season with a loving spoonful and City News 1130 for a delicious breakfast by donation, minimum $5 donation. Again, this Friday, December 2nd, at the Fountainhead Pub, anytime between 6 a.m. and 10 a.m. Everyone who attends will have a chance to win a fabulous door prize. City News 1130 will be on location. You can drop by, make your holiday donation for a possible opportunity to be on air with 1130. All donations will help support a Loving Spoonful programs and their new kitchen. For more details, go to the events page at citynews.ca. Final segment of the show coming up. Here from Roberto Luongo and more. It's Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk, final segment of the show. Sportsnet 650, Jamie Dodd, Thomas Durant's live here at Rogers Arena. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative is at Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Sportsnet 650 has partnered with Match Eatery and Public House for Sportsnet 650 Sunday at Cascades Casino in Delta. Join Bick, Randeep, and the Sportsnet 650 squad on Sunday, December 4th. That's this Sunday from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. For all your marquee matchups, Match Eatery and Public House offers the social traditions of a neighborhood pub with the high energy of a sports bar. Stop by. For a chance to win a smart speaker, you can grab some Sportsnet 650 swag. You can talk sports with Bick and Randeep. Plus, there will be a pair of Canucks tickets 
and a pair of tickets to the Seahawks game on December 11th that we'll be giving away. Match Eatery and Public House located at the new Cascades Casino next to the Massey Tunnel. That is this Sunday, December 4th, 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. Game day here at Rogers Arena. It's a big one. They're also honoring Daniel and Henrik Sedin and Roberto Luongo. Of course, the trio recently inducted into the Hall of Fame together. So that's going on. Roberto Luongo, uh, who, as we discussed at length earlier in the show, will be going into the Ring of Honor here at Rogers Arena next season. He was on hand. He spoke to the media uh, earlier today. Here is former Canuck Roberto Luongo. Uh, the Windows on the startup computer, noise is yeah. not what you're hoping to hear. <laughs> not in that what situation. you want to hear the Windows error message <laughs> yeah, like, noise. Bling! That, that's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've been the guy in that position, and that's a nightmare because it's not your fault. It's, it's like just the, the laptop, computer has decided the not laptop, to do it. The laptop startup music, like, <laughs> anyways, that was not Roberto Luago. <laughs> no, it was a screensaver, however. Yes. Uh, we will, uh, we, we will hear from Roberto A beautiful Luongo. view from Lake Como. <laughs> we will hear from Roberto Luongo momentarily once we get those technical difficulties sorted out. Uh, we're good to go, I hear. So let's try it again. Here is former Canucks goalie Roberto Luongo. Yeah, I mean, it's always fun uh, to come back here every year when the schedule comes out. I always look to see when uh, when we play the Canucks. So um, exciting to be here. Obviously looking forward to tonight. Um, had a great weekend with the Twins a few weeks ago. So uh, it was a lot of fun and uh um, just looking forward to being with them again tonight and, and uh, celebrating a little bit more. Your reaction to going into the Yeah, listen, it's a great honor. I think um, really excited about it. Uh, it was uh, nice to see that you know the work that uh, that I put in here for eight years is going to get recognized, and I, I'm very grateful um, to be able to go up there with uh, with those guys. Well, I want to ask, it's kind of been a tour here for you almost. You have yeah. the Hall of Fame, your years. What's been like? It's been nice. It's been nice. You know, um, when I first retired, I kind of wanted to just like step away and not really talk about anything. But now that it's uh, it's been over three years, and uh, just reliving a lot of those memories and uh, going through the steps and the process of you know ever since I really I was a kid all the way up to uh, you know my last game, it's been nice. It's been fun and and, and talking talking about those things with with friends and family and people that I've worked with it's uh it's been a great month to be honest with you well, what can you tell us about conversations with the next leading to the announcement yesterday not my I mean they, they they called me Jim called me and uh you know gave me the news so uh, there was there wasn't uh, much as far as conversation is concerned but uh obviously I mean I was excited and uh happy to hear his voice and uh looking forward to next year when the schedule comes out, I'll circle it right away. <laughs> There's been a lot of talk in this market about Ring of Honor versus having your jersey retired. Does it matter to you one way or the other? Well, listen, I mean, uh, that's that's not up to me to decide, right? Um, but either way, it's a tremendous honor, and I'm very grateful uh, to be honored anyway. So um, uh, I was happy when I got the call yesterday, and I'm looking forward to uh, next season. When you first got here, from a media standpoint, you're pretty serious in front of the yeah, camera yeah. all the time, and then it kind of evolved into this sense of humor and your personality yeah. coming out. Can you kind of go through that and maybe how that evolved for you and change people's ideas? Yeah, I mean, mostly it was Twitter, but uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it, 
I wasn't I, when I got here. It was the first time I was in a Canadian market, obviously. And uh, <clears throat> after the first year, you know, when when you know you started to hit a few bumps in the road, and, and I started having trouble um, dealing with certain things, I would say. Uh, and I took internalized most of it, and, and, and it affected me in a, in a personal matter. And uh, sometimes I didn't deal with it the right way. I found, uh, and as I got a little bit mature and, and, and went through, uh, you know, um, the ups and downs of a, of a career, really. Uh, I started to learn a few things and, and not take things as serious as I should have sometimes. And um, and, and I wasn't joking. And I, you know, really when the Twitter came along, it really helped me. Uh, you know, once I started kind of making fun of myself, it kind of made things a lot easier on myself to, to accept that um, things are going to happen and you can't just dwell on them the whole time. Uh, it helped in a lot of ways, uh, more than just my performance. I think uh, just my life in general, I think, you know, I, I became uh, uh, better for it, um, the way I approached certain situations, uh, maybe more difficult situations that uh, I'd have trouble with in the past, and I was able to handle them better and uh, move past things a little bit easier. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the old saying, you live and you learn, right? And uh, for me, that's, uh, that's kind of what happened. <laughs> I've had a few, but I'm going to keep them myself. Roberto, <laughs> what, what does it mean to go into the Hall of Fame with the teams when you guys were able to accomplish a lot here with this organization in Vancouver? Yeah. What's it been like the last few months? Like maybe, I don't know if you guys spent a lot of time yeah. together in the offseason, but I'm sure a lot of time yeah. lately you kind of see each other. Well, I mean, obviously they're here and I'm in Florida, so we don't really see each other. But uh, after the news came out that we're going in, we uh, we were in contact, uh, you know, mostly through text. But uh it's been honestly, it's been uh, it's been a great couple months, especially that that weekend in Toronto with them, um, and, and and the Legends game, you know, with all the guys there, with Kevin and Hammer was there, Corey Schneider, you know, all those guys uh, showing up for the game uh, was amazing. To be honest with you, it was probably I don't know if you guys saw my goals. Did you guys see that? Or? <laughs> um, yeah, it was an amazing weekend all around. But even the Legends game, I think, and 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 I and I was talking to Kevin, uh, you know, before and after the game. We were actually after the game because he was sitting next to me in the in the locker room, and he loved it. You know, just just being out with the guys and brought back so many memories of uh, you know when we were here and uh, we see each other every day. So that was that was fantastic. Are you ready for the lose tonight? Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's always it's always fun to to be in a you know not only here but any Canadian market. There's uh, it's, they get pretty loud, but obviously it's a special place uh, for me here. Lou, Florida is obviously your family home. Yeah. Um, but you played the biggest games of your career here. Yeah. Uh, to be honored in this building where Canada won gold, uh, obviously Game Seven of both uh, the Chicago series and the Boston series yeah. in 2011. Uh, what what does that mean to you? What are you, the emotions going through your mind as you think about being honored in this building? Well, there'll, there'll be a lot. I think a lot of emotions. The you know the best moments of my career was when I was here. Obviously, you know, uh, when I played for Team Canada, I was with the Canucks, but you know, it was also in Vancouver. So um, those playoff runs, I mean, those were the best uh, moments of my career. So uh, to be able to uh, kind of relive them a little bit here uh, in the next uh, little while and um, take it in and thank the fans for everything, I think um, it's a nice way to uh, you know to cap it all off. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was unbelievable. And, and sometimes, you know, when you're in it, you don't kind of realize it. But, you know, now you then you move on. You play for other teams. Teams change. And, you know, now, now that you look back, it's like you realize, you know, how special the group was. And uh, and it was a unique group, right? We had different types of personalities in the locker room. And I think that's what made us so good, right? Uh, some guys were more serious. Some guys were, you know, a bit funnier. Some guys were looser. Some guys, you know, it was it was a great mix to have. And uh, it, just, it just kept the room in a good spot, you know, uh, most of the time. Yeah, that's because I never talked to him. So. <laughs> Going into the Ring of Honor next season, Roberto Luongo, uh, diplomatic except as expected. About, except about Kevin Bianca. Diplomatic as expected on the question of uh, Jersey retirement versus going into the Ring of Honor. Yes, not diplomatic on the question of Kevin Bieksa and spoke very glowingly about his time here in Vancouver, the biggest moments of his career, the best moments of his career, uh, in his words, and also talking about how much he appreciates getting to get that appreciation, that acknowledgement from the fans. So no surprise whatsoever, uh, all class from Roberto Luongo uh, this morning. And he, he will get a chance to be honored along with the Sedins. There will be a ceremony, I understand, at 7, puck drop at 7.15. So if you're coming to the game, make sure you're there. You'll get a chance to uh, show your support and show your Appreciation for all three, Daniel Henrik and Roberto Luongo. Lou took the high road the organization should have. Fundamentally. No surprise there. No, Roberto Luongo's awesome. He's great. Pleasure to hear from him. Pleasure to hear from him, even though, as we uh, detailed earlier in the show, I would prefer if they were honoring him in a different way. All right, uh, final 10 minutes of the show here. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. I, I want to get back into the game. We haven't had a ton of time to talk about it today, specifically tonight against the Florida Panthers. Uh, you can text in, what are you watching for tonight? What's on your mind in this one as they look to rebound from a, a, a dispiriting loss, I think it's fair to say, against the Washington Capitals, even though we know about fatigue and all of that. But Man, Washington really dominated that first period uh, against the Vancouver Canucks, and certainly Florida has a chance. They have the talent. They have the upside. They have the ability to do the same to teams. One of the things that I'm really going to be keeping an eye on, Drance, is what kind of bounce-back performance we see from Elias Pettersson. And I have full confidence. I'm not worried. I said on the show earlier this week, I'm not concerned about – you know, what that Capitals game means for Elias Pettersson. It was a rare off night. But I do think it's such a hallmark of elite athletes, not just in hockey, but in every sport. Don't let one bad night become two or three, right? Nip it in the bud. It's one bad night. That's fine. It happens. Move on. Get back to that standard. Elias Pettersson has done absolutely everything you could ask of him as that elite top-of-the-lineup performer so far this season. And to me, it's just another opportunity Grant, like Hart Trophy candidate in Matthew Kachuk coming through. We'll see what what the matchup situation is, but you've got a chance to go out, put your stamp on this game, immediately put the bad performance in the rearview mirror. I would bet on him doing it because he's really good. He's Elias Pettersson, but that's one of the kind of, I don't want to say a, a milestone or a, a test or anything subplot for maybe? Elias Pettersson, but a subplot. It's something I'm watching. Like, okay, if you're if you're really in that top tier, that's what those guys do. They take a, they have a bad game, they move on from it immediately, and they get back to being great. The old short memory. The short memory. Um, yeah, I mean, look, Panthers playing their third in four nights, mm-hmm. but that's negated a little bit by the fact that they are in scramble mode, right? Like, they need this win. 
they need this win. So I would expect them to be pretty fired up, but, but, you know, they're probably going to need a lead early because I would think Canucks have now slept in their own beds for four nights, right? Flames have been, or sorry, the Panthers have been gallivanting across uh, Western Canada. Well, not gallivanting. Gallivanting. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right. That was uh, that was a bridge too far. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, that was um, that was uh, too too deep into my thesaurus. Anyway, uh, they've been traipsing about Western Canada, and they've come here three and four, beaten down a little bit. Uh, you know, this matchup should be difficult for Vancouver, typically, but do not underestimate the absence of Sasha Barkov. Yes, Sasha Barkov. 100%. Sasha Barkov has a level of gravity as a two-way player that you will very rarely see in this game. You know, it's disappointing actually that we won't get to see him play because he is mammoth. You know, I mean, hands like Datsuk, body like Bacchus. <laughs> like it is ridiculous what Sasha Barkov is able to do on a game in game out basis. Really changes everything else they do. He's that impactful. Uh, there's still a lot of talent. There's not a ton of depth. So I sort of think that this is a, a decent matchup for Vancouver in terms of how they match up up front. Fair bit of speed on the back end, though, right? Montour, Ekblad, um, Forsling, mm-hmm. and Mahura can all do some damage taking that fourth man's ice and attacking in the way that Bruce Boudreau talked about. We know that this Canucks team can struggle against teams capable of stretching them out and moving the puck north-south with speed and purpose this Panthers team's capable of doing that. And then the goaltending matchup's a fascinating one, right? Two of the best young American goalies. Like, I'm not going to be stunned at all if this is a future best-on-best best Team USA tandem going forward. Demko and Knight, right? Uh, very, very seriously. That's going to be one of the fun subplots to watch for. Uh, look, tired team, Canucks, both teams looking to bounce back. I'd expect good pace. I'd expect a fair bit of excitement tonight. Panthers can punish in terms of scoring goals. Canucks can score goals, but both goalies are good. Yeah, this is this has a lot. This there's a lot to recommend tonight's matchup. Uh, not just the ceremony, but the quality of these two teams. Really looking forward to it. I just you know when I look at the balance of probability, um, you know, and and I know that the Canucks are. Sorry, I don't very mean... slight favor underdogs. Very slight underdogs. Plus one hundred five at playnow.com. Plus one hundred five. Okay. Panthers minus one twenty five. So very, yeah, very even. Pretty close to a pick'em there. Yeah. So you know the, the. I think that's right. Right. You look at the balance of probabilities. This one could very easily swing either way. And I, I, I would also slightly favor the Panthers because of their stylistic profile. Right. Stylistically, they fit the sort of mold of a team that tends to give this Canucks group trouble. Vikingstad texts in. I feel like we could Vikingstad, win. what a great text name. Yes. I feel like we could win tonight because I have zero hope that we will win tonight. That's often when we win. You could do, you could do, <laughs> you could do worse as like a lens for predicting every Canucks game. You know what I mean? You mentioned you brought up the George Costanza thing. Just do the opposite of right. Totally. What's your instinct in every situation? Oh, the Canucks are gonna get run of the building tonight. Yeah. Oh, maybe I should put some money down on them. <laughs> oh, they've got a tired Anaheim team coming in, or whatever, a tired Ottawa team coming in. Oh, this should be easy. Oh, crud. There's only a few times that I've known. You know, there's only a few times that I've known. I'm very bad at picking the individual results of games. I find like I, I understand what's going to come over a large period of time. I think I'm good at figuring out what's real and what's not in mm. terms of analyzing teams, but I'm very bad at game-to-game results, um, which is why it's good that I don't gamble on hockey. Yes. But uh, 
but you know, th- I think about that Islanders game that one time, right? That one time where I was like, "Oh my God, they look so dialed in at Morning Skate, they're gonna win." That was like the only time that I knew. That's your version of the Canucks Colorado game last year. <laughs> Remember where they were so thrilled with how they played in Colorado that it always sticks in their mind, right? Yeah, 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 that is. I was like, man. That one shining moment where it all came together. Wow, this Islanders team, I've never seen a group so disciplined in morning skate. That was a ridiculous call. Anyway, (laughs) other than that, this one feels like it could be a big swing game for either team, Mm. right? Uh, If the Canucks lose this and then you're really behind the eight ball at home. Like, one thing that I thought was interesting about Boudreaux's commentary following the Vegas loss was we need to win three here now. Right? Like, Boudreaux's talking not like a team that, per Jamie, is one point or two points out of a playoff spot, but like he's coaching a team that has space, ground to make up. Right? Like, that's very much how he's discussing this group. His bar, the one he set for this team just earlier this week, was win three. Win three. And that has to start tonight. Brandon in Vancouver, Texan. Matt Kachuk is going to wreak havoc on us down low. He's really good. He's really good. We all know his style of play. That's actually an interesting subplot as well, right? Because what the Kachukio Levy round nineteen? <laughs> no, not that. Okay, I think good. I think we can pretty safely put that one to bed. Okay, good. Just just gonna go on a limb there. Um, but it's interesting because the Canucks they drop the gloves a lot, but then there's still those moments where X thing happened and there didn't seem to be a response. You know what I mean? It's kind of this weird dichotomy where you can't say they don't fight. No, they fight. But it also doesn't look like this no doubt about it, we always have our backs, we're always dialed in to looking after each other on the ice. It's not that either. It's in this weird middle zone. And look, Matthew Kachuk knows how to push buttons. He knows how to create those situations where guys have to stick up for each other, where guys have to come in and do something about it and get in his face a little bit. So that's going to be something that I'm going to be keeping an eye on as well, not just how Matthew Kachuk runs the show with the buck on his stick, but how he runs does the he show. Kind of, can he get that, under the skin of the Canucks a little uh, bit? There's no too. one better at that dark Truly. art of stepping right to the line without stepping over. He's he's incredible at it. It's uh you know what that's a fun thing to watch for tonight for sure. Should be a fun one. Uh this one from Mike and Willoughby. Everyone knows Panthers don't gallivant, they meander. Right. They also don't hunt in, hunt in packs. They're very individual oh, loner animals. Yeah. So it's like I remember we were trying to come up with like Panthers themes, right? They use time to hunt now. And it was like, someone was like, no, Panthers don't hunt in packs. And I'm like, well, what use are they? Hard to come up with a slogan for an animal that's like a tough loner. Yeah, I mean, lone wolf, but anyways, we got to (laughs) go. We'll we'll end the discussion on that note. Uh, The Hockey PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich is coming up next. Enjoy the game tonight. You've got it on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.